Hi, Joe Lysett here in Bridge End, and my favourite agricultural podcast is the Pub Yields podcast with Jacob and Di. All the other agricultural podcasts are a load of piss and shit. They're a load of piss and shit. How are we doing, Jake? Long time no see. I know, Di. It's been a while, haven't it? And I think we've upset a few people by well, <laughs> by having a bit of radio silence. <laughs> but uh, crazy, crazy time of year. And I'm sure everyone will actually appreciate that, you know, farming sometimes, sometimes, well, it should be all the time, but sometimes, particularly in uh, in your case, isn't it, Di? has got to come first. Exactly. Yeah, well, in other years, I think we would have been fine, but this year has been ridiculous as in we had such a wet may when we couldn't get on with anything and then the weather came and we had to do about three months work in two weeks yeah does it feel like since the first of april that we've had all the seasons yeah snow drought monsoon yep humid yep back the drought and and not even that like it's so localized like we got a farm 14 miles away i was at home getting ready to go down there for a day on the sheep, outdoor pen. So I packed a vest, shorts, I took sun cream down there. When I got down there, I couldn't see beyond the nearest hedge because it was just all this smog in there. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, but but anyway, people will be bored if we actually talk about the weather and what we've been up to. No one cares about us today. But no, one good story I, <laughs> I will tell you because it literally happened last night. Obviously, been uh, did the silage on the home block, and then we did the si- we just finished the silage on the away block, and I was hauling bales out there last night, and it would have been about midnight, half past midnight, and I was pulling out into the gateway, and there was a car parked right in the gateway. Ah, oh, is there anything worse? Like, is a lane going down to the ground? Car parked in the gateway, nothing worse. I was fuming. Anyway, <laughs> next thing. I, I bet you rolled your sleeves up and uh, we're going to give them more holes, eh? <laughs> Mate, I'm glad I didn't because next thing, two naked kids climb out of the back seat, crawl into the driver's seat and drive off like fuck. Mate, you, you'll get arrested for sneaking up on them. Mate, I'm, I'm literally a peeping Tom. <laughs> yeah, but... You'll, you'll get arrested, Di. You realise that sneaking up and peeping on kids is illegal, don't you, mate? Oh, I'll bleep all that out, then. <laughs> <laughs> I like how at 25, I'm calling a pair of 20-year-olds kids. <laughs> so woke. So woke. But yeah, we've had the Euros. Come on, Wales. Four points out of six. Absolutely flying. It's, uh, it's fucking coming home. Oh, mate, don't give them that. <laughs> don't give them that. Yeah, no, it's, so. it's great, and I I absolutely love the Euros. Memories of 2016 are still strong, and uh, fingers crossed, big game now. And I don't know whether you've seen, but our sponsors, Sugarloaf, have got a competition on, offering up a pair of Canterbury shorts of your choice. All you got to do is like, comment, tag a friend, and share their story on Instagram. And my God, I have never seen a competition take off like it. I feel stupid even mentioning it because everyone who's everyone has already done it. Have you done it? I haven't, no. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just because I've been waiting for the right time. 
Yeah, should I, we do it now? Do you know what my problem is? It says tag two friends, and I don't think I've got two friends. Mate, just do what I do. I tag the Pubbies Instagram page. <laughs> yeah, you're with me right now, aren't you? You're with me right now, aren't you? Yeah. And I tag Pretend Young Farmers page. I've also got the account password for. And, you know, <laughs> straight away, they tag me back. No one's any wiser unless they look into it. Oh, God. Also, we all remember Ed Cordwell from episode 10. Well, this weekend, Ed is running a marathon to raise money for the Yellow Wellies Farm Safety Foundation. The link to his Just Giving page will be in the episode description. So I'm sure you can all remember Ed's incredible story. And just in case you need even more justification for digging deep, I may have agreed to run alongside him and... I haven't even started training yet. So it'll be worth donating just to see that. Once again, we're sorry that this is late. It's been a lot of sleepless nights trying to get it edited and out to you. But we'll make up for it because we are going to release another episode next week to make up for the week we missed. But fair play. Great guest we got uh, lined up considering, Jake. Yeah, he's uh, he's one hell of a laugh. That's for sure, isn't he? He's a good boy. Good boy, isn't he? We got Will Clark on, better known as Reggie. I've always thought with Reggie, he just speaks so much common sense. Like, like, like when, I, when I speak to him, I always have like these enlightenment moments where I'm like, oh my God, of course. So I thought, what a perfect bloke to get on and just put the world to rights, really. Yeah, definitely. Any, any excuse for you to uh, suck another dairy farmer off? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it helps that he's been all over the world. So, um, yeah, should we get the show on the road, Jack? I think we better add we're already late. Very late. <laughs> Very late. Like, you're No, I'm joking. Die hasn't got a girlfriend. But, um... <laughs> My God. <laughs> That'll have to come out. But... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sit back and enjoy. This is Reggie Clark. Hello and welcome to the Pub Yield Podcast with me, David Rees. Me, Jacob Anthony. And our guest today, Will Clark. But uh, just to advise the listener, um, I don't think I've ever heard you ever call Will Clark. It's going to be Reggie from now on, yeah? Yeah, no worries. Got to ask, where, where does Reggie come from? Because to me, you don't look like a Reggie, Will. Well, it's not a good story. As ever, overhyped ends in disappointment. It's just a shit nickname from home. My dad's called Richard. Got called young Reggie because I look a spitting image of him, thankfully. I'm not like the postman, so <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah. Where are you from, Reg? Uh, right at the top of Lancashire on the coast. You can see Blackpool Tower South, the Lake District North, and the Yorkshire Dales are behind us. So yeah, 
there's um there's just me and dad, just a two man unit. We've got three hundred and fifty acres of grassland, uh, milking one hundred and seventy crossbred uh, Holstein Norwegian red cattle at home. We've got one hundred and fifty North of England meal sheep, uh, all to the Texel, and I've got I do I did fifty free range turkeys last year. My new little business venture I started. So yeah, that's just me and dad. We don't have any other staff, so we keep each other fairly. Keep fairly busy on the farm and just working in between rain showers up in sunny Lancashire. Well, yeah, there's a bit of variety going on there. Um, Norwegian Reds, like I'm just, you know, just a little hill farmer myself, sheep hill farmer. I don't know much about dairy cattle at all. I don't know a lot about Norwegian Reds anyway. Is there something special about them? Is there a particular reason why you keep them red? Or? Uh, we use them because uh, well, like the Holstein's been bred a bit too hard, we think, for... Uh, yield traits over the last like 20 years and we're finding that they weren't lasting so we uh we crossed them to yeah norwegian scandinavian reds and the scandinavians have been breeding for health traits the last 20 years rather than yield so yeah we've got some bomb proof cattle and yeah touch wood we've got one coming up to 100 tons uh, she's 11 years old there's a big gang of old cows probably not the best for the cell count but now they last and uh yeah, we keep the turnover of cattle as minimal, minimal as possible, so it suits our system well. Well, they they sound like they definitely pay for themselves anyway. They, you know, yeah, the, the hybrid vigor is obviously uh, paying dividends, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a bit too much vigor, probably. There's some, yeah, there's some nasty apples amongst them. Like, oh, <laughs> there'd be about, I think there's eight or nine with a kick bar on that. They are they're destined to be beef cattle one day. They're just <laughs> nasty pieces of work. That's the thing, isn't it? People have pushed Holstein so far now to produce milk. Like I think farmers, they love to tell you how many litres they produce a year. They don't mention they have to kill them when they're four-year-old. Yeah. Know, whereas the cost of then re- replacing it, whereas like one of your Norwegian reds will make it to 12, well, you yeah. know, you've you reared two less heifers in, uh, in her life. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, really. And, it, and also, like, the, the consumer doesn't like the idea of a, I don't know, like a disposable cow. Like, these American systems where they're mm. just burning through cattle and they're doing, like, two lactations and they burn out. Like, it doesn't look good to the consumer, does it? So... Our cows, they graze for about, you'll get a seven-month window. They'll be out 15th of March, hopefully, back in uh, early November. They're outside, um, yeah, on the side of the main road. A lot of people can see them. I think it's quite a good advertisement for British dairy, which I think is going to be more and more important going into the future. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, a farmer down by us who you know as well, right, Abby Reader, she put a post up on Facebook not long ago. And it was a great grandmother, a grandmother, and the two daughters then all milking together in the parlour. Like, that's a brilliant advert. Epic. Isn't it? Yeah, no, that's good. That's great. Yeah. Great PR for the industry. And I think, yeah, no, that Abby's, uh, I've, seen, I've seen her stuff on Facebook. Yeah, she's definitely, uh, she, she's earned her MBA, put it that way. <laughs> when you get yours, pretty... when you get yours, Jake? Oh, mate, I haven't even got an agent. <laughs> <laughs> Reg, you mentioned that. Uh, you were doing free-range turkeys last year, and you said it was your first year. Not a particularly easy year. Obviously, every year people want big turkeys for big family occasions, but then a couple of weeks before Christmas, it became apparent that you could only have four per household. So then yeah. all of a sudden, people wanted small turkeys. Kind of been easy. Yeah, well, the turkey journey, it all started, um, when was it, 20... I went to see in a few conference two years ago, and then... This guy, this farmer from Cheshire, he, he was like looking for a spare seat, the evening meal, and there was a spare one on like the Lancashire table. And he came over and sat with us and 
he was wittering away. Oh, I got these turkeys, do this, do that. I got a few hundred milk cows and all that. And I was just like, oh, talking to him about it. I went home, did a bit of research. I thought, you know what, I fancy getting a few, see what happens. Um, so I went out in uh, August, uh, just ringing people up that did them. Uh, bought 30, 35 of them. And uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't sold a single one and told no one what I was doing. And just yeah, kept them in a shed, had a free range, just word them off, got out and sold sold them all. Made a bit of money, went towards my ski trip. And then the next year, got a, a logo made up and put a, built my own custom shed for them. And then, uh, yeah, I knew COVID was going to change well, the, the shape of Christmas completely. So I wanted to grow my birds as small as possible. So I made it as cold as possible the shed like big open vents but high enough so the fox couldn't get in and uh, put them on like a lower protein feed so they didn't fatten as fast and uh, it took and it did it worked out absolutely perfect in the end um but yeah like who knows what christmas is gonna be like this year i don't know whether i haven't spent much money on it i could just not do it again i wouldn't i wouldn't have lost anything but yeah it's it was like when the government were coming in with like Oh yeah, four people to Christmas. I was just like, I've spent like <laughs> neck end of two grand on this, and like no one's gonna want my bloody turkeys. I was just like shitting myself, but no, it all worked out in the end. And then yeah, picked up a fair few more customers this year, and yeah, no, it's, it's good fun. The plucking's a bit grim, but you just, as with every farm job, you just put your head down, and faster you get through it, the sooner you're done. So yeah, no, it's good. He's a farmer's son uh, next door to me, like a couple of years back now, long, long before COVID. He did the same turkey job, you know, farmer's son, like, like we do with everything, just fed him ad lib, you know, when they yeah. start calling, just give him food to shut them up and just fed him ad lib, fed him ad lib. But of course, the problem was he sold all these turkeys, not a single person could get one in their oven. Yeah. Because he just, he just be like, oh, yeah. have that, have that, have that. That's <laughs> the problem. You've got to feed them ad lib the whole time or else they go, they, they lose shape. So you have to literally like just water down the feed. So they're still eating as much. Just bulk. Yeah. Well, I learned all this the hard way, but like, yeah, it's uh, there's an art to it. But yeah, I kind of got a lot of guidance on a farm near uh, near Blackpool. They do like 1400. They just pile of butchers everywhere. And I got friends with the farmer's son and uh, he like, I'd ring up with a problem. He'd tell me I'll sort it. So yeah, no, it's good. And uh, yeah, there's an art, there's an art to everything, isn't there? But yeah. Um, yeah, every year you try and get better, don't you? So I don't know what will happen this year. I could maybe do a few more. It's always tempting. <laughs> but, yeah. You, me- you mentioned your sheep as well. Uh... Yeah. Uh, start lambing, all outdoors. Very uh, extensive system. We didn't feed a single nut of cake to any of the sheep or lambs last year. It's as much off grass as possible. Um, yeah, outdoors for everything. Um, you're, you're very similar, are you, Jake? Yeah, we're we're the same. We're just about all outdoors as well, Reg. And yeah, like like, like like you say, yeah, you know, it's it's all about that middle margin, really, isn't it? You know, especially with sheep, you don't talk. You know, it's all right top in the market, isn't it? But still, how much does it cost you to get there? Isn't yeah, it? it's about the profit margins in the middle, and I think that's what if you can do yeah. it, if you can utilize grass well. You know, it's a win-win situation. That's your cheapest form of protein, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we're best at doing: growing grass. It's why why buy why try and make fancy diets when you can just grow the cheapest most profitable feed at home yourself it's people farming farming is basic it farming is simple it's just people insist on complicating it yeah. that's um that's my way of looking at it um yeah. that's yeah 
the sheep. But it's uh, the problem. Biggest problem we've got with our farm is there's about three fifty acres in total, but we're in nineteen different blocks. Yeah. Um, we've got the West Coast Main Line taking trains from London to Edinburgh goes bang through the farm. Got the A6, uh, the M6 main motorway north, a canal, the Lancaster Canal, and then the Lancashire Cycleway, and all smaller roads all go through the farm. So like you get everything from like a 60-acre block right down to like a three-acre block. So like my dad was probably right to have four kids because like we'd always be before school having to turn turn stock. Yeah. Like the cows have to go in and out twice a day, and yeah, that was what my whole childhood consisted of, like moving stock around the farm and. Yeah, getting getting a lot of aggravation off drivers and stuff. <laughs> like you just said, you're perfectly right about farmers making things complicated, but yeah. not making things complicated, making things expensive. Like like we haven't got a mixer wagon, like a t, you know, don't feed a TMR because I personally can't see. I know there are these minutiae and these little benefits, but if I want to get the food from that pit into that yeah. feeder. Why am yeah. I spending 15 grand on a bit of kit to put it yeah. into first? Just pick it up and put yeah. it in it. Yeah, yeah, but it'd look good on Twitter if you've got a... Uh, exactly. You that's, I, th- <laughs> I think, I think yeah. that's what it all comes down to, really. You'd have loads more birds all over you at the Royal Welsh if you had a big shiny <laughs> feeder wagon die. Jeez, that's what you're missing out. Oh, mate, if you had a feeder wagon, guaranteed you wouldn't be a virgin right now. <laughs> is, that, is that where I'm going wrong? Yeah. yeah. Where are you going oh. wrong? Oh, I see it. Mate. Now the way I look at it, God God gave cows legs; they can walk to the feed themselves. Yeah, and uh, it's a bad job if you having to take it to them or employ someone to take it to them for you. Uh, who would have thought? That, who would have thought that the perfect male contraception was having roan feeders? Repeat. <laughs> 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 oh man! But no, yeah, I like I and I will never understand when well, you know I worked on a placement farm for a year. Cows in all year round. Yeah, we both did. I'll never understand it simply on a labor point of view because on simple farms like ours, you have your workforce at full capacity during the winter because there's feeding, bedding, milking to do. But then once they go out in the summer, you free up that labor to do your silage and your cardinal. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if you are in all year round, you need more labor in the summer and then they're twiddling their thumbs in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, but the key, the Kiwis have it sussed. Like their labour unit per hundred cows is like almost twice what ours is. Like where I work, there was eight hundred and thirty cows and four staff. Mm. Like four staff would be like a two hundred cow unit over yeah. here. Well, I I, and, always, uh, I find over here it's one to hundred cows. Oh, you, you're doing well at that. And yeah. Of course, you spend all this money on all this kit. All it does is depreciate or break down. Yeah, the Kiwis call it deferred rust. Yeah, they're not wrong. There's different, different strokes for different folks, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I suppose it's not going to suit anyone, but um, I, I'm sure I'm sure I'll get called tight after releasing this. But uh... it it definitely, though, I, I agree with you two boys. It just really goes back to, doesn't it, that people think the more you have, the better you are. It doesn't always work like that, does it? Because what matters really what's in your bank account at the end of the day, isn't it? You know? Yeah. You, just because you've got the most shiniest tractors doesn't mean that you've got the most profitable farm, does it? Yeah, I heard a saying a bit back on, it might have been a farm flex or something. Um, someone said he used to judge a farmer by how much money he had in his bank account. And nowadays, they judge a farmer by how much he's got borrowed. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just shifting massively. It's, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's, it's easy to borrow money, but it's a lot harder to make it. <laughs> yeah. We're boiled yeah. down to. Yeah. 
you'd be in um, a proper proper mixed area then is it reg like you know, no, I don't, I don't like know it's, you, it's pretty strong dairy you know very strong beef yeah you go um five miles north of us no one grows maize and then it's like a marginal maize area where there's like people struggle to grow a good consistent crop of maize year after year. And then you go 20 miles south and people really start growing maize where everyone has livestock. Mm. Yeah, it's um, we're like yeah. a, th- we're a thin sliver of land of decent farmable land up the coast, up Lancashire and Cumbria. You go inland yeah. maybe oh, 15 miles and it's just, it's just like moors and proper hill farming. And then, of course, you're at the coast, yeah. the other side, yeah. I know I drove from um, Lancaster to Harrogate once and you literally, yeah. it's good farming ground and then you go up over the dales, all through the crap and yeah. you drop back down into good animal ground. Yeah, it? it's like the end of the world up there. Yeah. That's where <laughs> lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where do you think I was going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Much fun out in Harper? Or? Yeah, no, it was, it was yeah, it's class. Good folk there. Glad I went when I went. I think it's going to get a bit more yeah, tightened up in the future with regards but, to like drinking, not drinking, just like rules and PC. It's a proper bubble. Everyone reads from the same hymn sheet. Um, it's not a true reflection of what the world's like, but yeah, you get stuck in when you're there, meet a lot of like-minded it's people. It's, it's cool. basically like a crash for four years, isn't it? Like a oh, it's a bubble. Proper it's bubble. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we were in Harbour together, but you were also on placement down by us when you were down in the south of Wales. Yeah, well, you came north to Lancashire, yeah. and I went south down to South Wales. It was like foreign exchange, isn't it? It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. Try something different. Um, Joined, went to work for a farm. It's just about 10 times bigger herd at home. Different sort of system. Yeah, very busy year. I think I knocked up, racked up about... 390 odd hours in August when I was there. It was a bloody busy time. Yeah. Yeah. Got some pennies in, in the bank and had a good time. Learned a lot down there. When everything runs smoothly, like I remember when we were chopping, there was two foragers harvesting maize in the same field and there was two hedge cutters, the top, the quad track with the top down and the 8530 with a drill on. And then me and Edward were there with a bag of seeds and it was just like, poetry in motion this field was just getting turned upside down flipped cropped hedge cut drilled within a matter of hours and it was just like edward was just grinning everything was going well you won't have you won't get to try that in one of our three acre fields at home that's for sure. <laughs> good on them i think and it's, it's nice to see good people being successful like there's enough dickheads being successful yeah 100 100 percent. they're like Humble folk, absolute yeah. grafters, like ridiculous. They, they make some serious sacrifices to get to get that far. The second to last week I was there, uh, we went on a rugby tour to Budapest and I had my whole head bleached and I was like a horrible, like a golden sun, sunlight, ginger colour. And I came back for the last week placement and uh, on the Monday he was like, oh, what, what's your name? I was like, uh, Will. He's like, oh. You must be new here. Let me take you. <laughs> let me take you up to Lambythin. I'll show you how to feed the calves up there. And I was like looking at George in the yard. I was like, "Does he think I'm someone else?" <laughs> I was. I didn't want to. He's the big boss. I didn't want to fucking question him or embarrass him. So for the whole last week, he thought this ginger guy in the yard was a new placement student. <laughs> he was like showing me to do jobs that I already knew how to do. I just had to go along with it. It was so. 
embarrassing. <laughs> but he must have been so confused when the next week I wasn't there. He's like, why is that ginger kid come for a week and then pissed off? Again? <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. But no, yeah, he's, he's fair play to him. <laughs> no, it's just some set up in there. The question um, is, though, did any of those pennies make it till the end of uni? Uh, not many, no, <laughs> but you earn them to spend them. Yeah. I did exactly yeah. the same. I, I also placement. I was tight as hell, like, oh, making money, making money. First, yeah. in, in Absolutely, yeah. It's just like, yeah, there's 21st all over and I know. skiing, rugby tour, went to Amsterdam, my 21st, that was loose. Yeah, just when you've got the money and young, yeah, and I, I had a good time, funny stories came out of it and... Living in Wales is nothing like anything I could have expected. So patriotic. The, the Welsh folk are like a different breed. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's When I was in New Zealand, the, the Kiwis were always like a little bit bitter about the Aussies, like they were the, like the bullied younger brother. And then when I was in Wales, I got exactly the same vibe. It was like the, the Welsh were always like fucking English. And they felt like the bullied younger brother of England, like they always had one yeah. up on them. I got that, but nah, very a lot of patriotic people. And the night of me, I was twenty, yeah, twenty one when France were playing Wales and went out in Cardiff. And what what an atmosphere that was! I've never felt an atmosphere around a sporting event like that. It was absolutely electric. It was unreal. It kind match, of it, match day in Cardiff is something else, isn't it? Oh my god! Like it's hard to explain to you experience it but I was just like it's the only time I live that I was like fucking hell, like it would be class to be Welsh you now. I'm like part of this instead of just being could you imagine walk about that that moment you know you would have been swilled with a few pints but you would yeah. have been delighted at the same time oh you yeah been, you would have been swilled by a pint turn around to the bouncer and he'd swill you as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that walkabout is unreal it's hellish Downstairs it's, it's in definitely not legal is it it's definitely <laughs> amount of people are going there it's not legal the amount of birds that are drinking those double pinters bigger than some of them yeah, it's it's always off putting when you got some bird with a two pinter and Jake's like, have you got a half pint? <laughs> yeah, I'm on the board going lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's class. It takes but... me the same time to drink that as it does to get the double pinter. <laughs> I was chatting to someone the other day and we were all about, oh, I bet you're missing going out. And I said, I can I could honestly leave going out, but just give me a match day. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, 100% day sessions. I don't know when you reach an age where like, just, just stood in a dance floor full of 18 year old kids isn't really a thing anymore. You just yeah. want to rather fancy dress, day session, get fucked, make rough decisions, be home for eight o'clock at night. Quite funny, Red, you say that you had when you were on your placement about, oh, England, they, they bully us, we're like the younger brother. I just had sheep shagger when I was on my placement. I don't know about you, Di. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I just had people mimicking my accent all the time. Oh, oh, it? oh it's Jacob! That's <laughs> what I have constantly. <laughs> all the lads at Pancross said I was Fred Dibner's love child, which I found hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Round home, that's a compliment. <laughs> Like I, I would, I would always say something on place, but I'd always say something like, "Oh, I'll get the ooze in," and all I get back was ooze because it's yows up with you, isn't it? It's yows, yeah. yeah. So, oh. so, oh, ooze. Oh. <laughs> Want me to get him in or not? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> what was it like for you, Di? What did you reckon to? Yeah, well, it would be a bit colder, I imagine. Than yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad I went like away, away, and not like driving distance home. Because I know what yeah. I, I know what I would have done if I was driving distance home. I would have been home every weekend, 
and I wouldn't have like properly, you know, experienced something different. So I like I always joke that I was five hours from home and two hours from Harper. So if I had a weekend off, you knew where, you knew where I was going. But um, yeah, the the craziest thing that happened to me on placement was um, when I was up there, Lancaster flooded. Oh yeah, is it Storm Desmond or something? Yeah, and it flooded the power station. So I was living alone in a bungalow and there was no power because the power station was flooded. So I had just had a massive order in from Asda and ev- all the power went. So probably the, l- the lowest point of my placement was sitting in a, in a pitch black house eating melted ice cream just because like I was just trying to empty this freezer and stuff. But anyway, what I was having to do, because I had no um, electric, I had no way of waking up in the morning, I had no alarm clock. So I would come home, I'd go to bed at eight, like I want to go to sleep at eight. So I'd go and sleep in the car so that I could use the cigarette lighter to charge my phone so that my phone had enough power to wake me up. And then like, say I'd, I'd set the alarm for one o'clock and I'd wake up at one then, or my phone's at 100%. Then I'd go in, spend the last three hours sleeping in the bed. And then my phone had enough power to wake me up at four. And that was my existence for like a fortnight. How the hell didn't your phone manage to last from eight o'clock at night until like four o'clock in the morning? Because I had no way of those na- in the house. It was those naked no documentaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was only a fortnight. That was back. Uh, so I brought some uh, Lancashire home with me, don't you, Jake? Yeah. He, he, what do you say? A rate or something like that? Right. All right. It'll be all right. <laughs> they always, they always. Real. Like they we all look at him. Like, like no one, literally no <laughs> one down here. We are more valleys than Pancross. Like a cuppa and die turns around and goes. Oh, anyone want a brew? Oh, fuck <laughs> off. What's the answer, you guess? <laughs> the thing I found, like, completely different, like, living down in Wales, like, when I joined the Young Farmers, it's just, like, a completely different vibe within the YFC. It's, like, everything's just about, like, uh, competitiveness and yeah. uh, performance, doing performances, like, singing and the pantomimes and stuff like the old school YFC values and then like at home it's just like yeah organizing piss ups in barns and maybe a bit tug of war but it's funny you should say that right see because I was I was in your club when I Vela Loom yeah I think that's how a young farmer should be in in a way of chasing membership we've gone after non-farmers so like organizing a night on a Tuesday is a nightmare because nobody's interested in anything one of the first weeks up in Lancashire the YFC text came through, right, this Tuesday, the vet's going to come and talk about cryptosporidium. And I was like, oh, well, I'll go, because, you know, it was t- the room was packed, like literally packed, and everyone was just sat there in silence. I was like, this is what it should be like? Yeah, well, like, even now, like, we can't have meetings. Like, we had a meeting uh, a fortnight ago with uh, Donkey off Grassman. There, <laughs> I was, sep- there was 79 uh, kids on Zoom watching it. With like a Red Bull in one hand, a, the Grassman T-shirt, and probably the penis in the other hand, listening <laughs> to talk about tractors. It was just something else. I was just like, there's a whole generation of kids which are just obsessed. Yeah, tractors like unhealthily, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. It's good when meeting people, and yeah, you, you see a lot of people come out the shells. So yeah. to be to be fair as well, when you were I take in Mandy Young Farmers, you were in was it well? Yeah, I joined Mandy and then. That is yeah. the most competitive club in the world <laughs> as well. When when yeah. you start pantomime season, you start pantomime season. The rest of us start about three weeks out from the competition. You guys actually do a full, you know, a full blown West End pantomime, don't you? Yeah, I got that vibe. Yeah, they were 
they were pushing it on us, but I wasn't biting. I was too busy to be fair on the farm, but like they wanted to train like quite a few nights a week, and yeah, I wasn't really down for that. But I did um, public speaking, but yeah, we didn't win. When our George, George, my boss's son off placement, he's fantastic at that, and yeah, he can just talk about anything, argue about anything. So he just carried the team, and I sat there hung over next to him, pretending to be just nodding. Yeah. No, it's good. Have you got a role in Villaloon now? Or? Yeah, I'm vice chairman. My younger brother, he's chairman. Oh, which brother's that? Ed. Ed's, Ed, yeah. Ed's chairman? Yeah. Christ, he's scraping a barrel? Or? Nah, he's big into his YFC. Oh, is he? He's out on the National Council for something. Last time I saw Ed, he was getting his nipple pierced in Torquay. Mate, he got absolutely <laughs> rat-assed at a YFC day last year. Went to fall asleep in his mate's pickup back in the car park of this day. Woke up. He was like 20 miles away on the fucking farm track. He woke up, was banging on the window. A guy turned around. It wasn't his mate. He got in the wrong pickup, falling asleep. <laughs> this fellow had driven neck end of 20 miles home to Blackburn. When they obviously turned on his farm track, it got bumpy. Ed had woke up. This fellow was like, who the fuck are you? Why are you in my pickup? <laughs> he had to turn around and drive him. 20 miles back to the day, drop him off. His mates were like, where have you been? He's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I, I just remember seeing him, out of the, just randomly seeing him in, on the street in Torquay and he just marched up to me and just put his top above his head to show off that he'd had his nipples pierced in the middle of Torquay. Oh, mate, yeah. he has some horrific tattoos. He's got one of the Blackpool Tower. It looks like one of the massive metal electric pylons <laughs> on his belly. He's shocking. And he's chairman. Yeah. But fair play, there's some get you have had some hellish people on. Yeah, we try we try hard to be fair. We've got a few charity fundraisers as well. Uh, like muck all and stuff soon. Basically get... doing everything that I should be doing. Yeah, I was gonna say, Di, why don't you do something for all your... <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to you to see you step up to the plate, like and actually try and do something back. You might meet the one. Red, you should know if you've seen the stand of them around here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's probably seen more of them than you have done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm better off alone, I think. Nice. God. I don't know. What year were you in Pancras and Reggie? What year was uh, it? Yeah, it would be, it'd be 15, 15 16. 16. Yeah, no. It Where was were you, Jake? I bound to have seen you about then. Yeah, no, I, I do. Yeah, I remember seeing you like around the dues and stuff. You yeah, no, I definitely seen you. I've seen you around the Royal Welsh and stuff. And I always see you in the back of the Farmer's Guardian. Like some, I always thought you were like some sort of um, like Welsh sheep farming heartthrob there, like repping the ridge line with his immaculate <laughs> hair. I was like, who is this guy? Is it, hey, mate, like years, years going now, stuff. so yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah, mine oh, is man, too. I'll take that off. I usually get called a <laughs> so that's fine. Like that suits me. <laughs> right, the, the funniest thing, right? Jake put an article out with the Farmers Weekly, the last one, right? And he he went up on Facebook. The first comment was just a bloke saying, "Oh, get bent." <laughs> <laughs> right, social media is just full of absolute just uh, myths. I've had. I've had one before, like, and that was, I think, the first comment as well. Like, and someone going, oh, what a prick. Or oh, this prick again, or something like that. It's just, I don't know, I'll just take the money and write bullshit. And, you know, that's, yeah. like, that's the thing. I think, I think that's big, just in ag. It's not even, it's just ag. It's like people see you try and do something. They think, the first thing they think is not, oh, good on him. They think, who does he think he is? You know, you know yeah. what I mean? 
yeah. there's, there's such a mentality like that. I just uh, yeah, definitely. you know, you didn't put your head up against the parapet, do you? But um, no, it's, right. like, it's like that. This farming life, really, and you know, I've you know, like um, the producer that was on here earlier. Reg, he's, he's a big fan of it. And, you know, for people like himself who are not off farms, I think it's brilliant. But you're going to British Farming Forum and every one of those is getting called a prick and everything under the sun. And they buy, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, Thomas, the sheep farmer from Brecon, liking it, you know? It's the it's the tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? The one that rises above gets gets the head cut down because they've yeah. dared to put the head above the parapet. Yeah, I don't know. I've always got a lot of time for these. These like people on social media from farming, like that Abbey Reader and yeah, you know, like Tom Tom Pemberton. I think they're both fantastic. But Jake, uh, Jake got rinsed not long ago. New Jake, because you were on the um, some TV show, but you weren't wearing a helmet when you're on the quad. <sighs> Absolutely nailed. I was on. Um, there was three of us farmers were on this um, on this program. Yeah, and two of us were actually riding a bike, and the two of us didn't wear a helmet. Yeah, and it's just. I know it's something we shouldn't do and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not condoning it at all, but it's not always convenient. And I know people will shoot you down and say, well, it should be convenient. It'll save your life. And I'm not saying anything. Mm. I hate myself sometimes for not wearing it. And I should really bollock myself for it. And I try to when I can. Um, yeah. We get it, Jake. We get it, Jake. You're, you're trying to backtrack. We get Man, it. I'm, just covering, I'm covering my ass. <laughs> I just take everything personal. I got to stop it. <laughs> yeah, you spend all day working on your own, just cursing people and cursing things you see online, and then when you meet people, you're happy as Larry again. It's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was find. I, th- I think that's just the life of a sheep farmer, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> For Reg, uh, you, you've been all over the world, haven't you, brother? Yeah, I finished Harper in the what it like June time. Did a harvest over in Lincolnshire. Saved some pennies up. That was all right. Arable farming is an absolute piece of piss. They do like, yeah, two months work a year on auto steer, book a ski holiday, yeah. and do a bit more work, book another ski holiday. And then, yeah, that's that's the arable calendar. So, yeah, I just went for during the busy time. Yeah, it was there like two and a half months, saved a bit of money up. Booked a one-way flight to Hanoi in Vietnam on my own. Six weeks in Asia. I was like two and a half months in New Zealand and two and a half months in Oz. And then... Bali, Thailand, Laos, back to Vietnam, then Sri Lanka, then home, just in time for the Royal Welsh. I remember the post going up on Facebook of uh, you getting on a plane to Vietnam. Oh, man. And um, somebody commented, Vietnam have already had a war. Why do they deserve this? (laughs) Oh, man. I booked the flight. I booked the flight for Friday the 13th because... I'd heard flights were cheaper on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Turns out they are. I was just flying on Friday the 13th for the hell of it. And I like flew into Hanoi with my backpack. I just, I remember I was wearing like jeans with fucking Nike sneaks and uh, like a crew clothing shirt, TK Maxx special, of course. And yeah. I remember I walked out of the airport and this just wall of 100% humidity hit me. I was just like, holy shit. I was like yeah. sweating like a blind lesbian in a cucumber factory i was just like holy shit <laughs> and then yeah no yeah just went exploring had a month in vietnam oh epic so many interesting people you meet in them hostels and it was class yeah you went yeah. on your own i don't know about you jake but i i like i wouldn't go with a group of us never mind of my own yeah i don't like going to the bar to order my drinks on my own <laughs> forced me to grow up and organize myself a lot more because there's no one looking out for you when you're on your own like they're only the people you've met like an hour before 
on a night out. So like, if you get absolutely wing mirrored and you're like, you're on your own and there's a lot of people out there to try and shaft you over, but stuff's cheap. You can just go exploring wherever and hostels are sick. It was, yeah, it was class. And then, yeah, just ended up in New Zealand, did six weeks in a call centre in Queenstown, selling health insurance over Christmas and New Year's. I was, I was niche. <laughs> and then, yeah, went, did like two months on a dairy farm, just putting cows on milk with these Indians, bit of exploring around South Island, and then went to Oz. Ten weeks of night shift back to back on a like a six hundred horsepower Challenger. We drilled between two tractors. We drilled like twenty six thousand acres in like yeah nine weeks. When this first lockdown arrived, I was just like. This feels like Australia all over again because like, I just completely isolated myself from everything already before. Yeah, I like I was used to just like spending a lot of my time on my own. Good time to yeah, I love it. Reflect. I don't know. It's weird <laughs> when you spend a hell of a lot of time on your own. You start thinking about like what you want to do and ideas and shit, and it's it's not a bad thing. But I was definitely ready to go and have a big blowout in Bali with Needham and Frenchie after, and then yeah. Things got loose from there on. They're on Asia, there's some horrific stories in Asia. And then, yeah, came home and you walk back into the pub after going abroad, like traveling for like a big chunk like that. That was like just over 10 months. You walk back into your local pub and then you sit down and then there's a fella sat there in the same seat he was sat when you left, drinking the same pint. Yeah. talking about exactly the same subjects he would always talk about uh, like next door's fucking tractor or something and he's like oh I was travelling he's like oh it's alright yeah he's like alright turns around and he's just like nothing has happened in yeah. his life the last 10 months but you've completely like your opinion on the world everything like what you want to do in life you made so many friends and contacts and seen so much cool shit and so much bad shit and his life hasn't changed one bit, but you've just like completely changed your perspective on everything. And yeah, it's it's a weird feeling. But yeah, that's it. That's it in a very tight nutshell. Keep, keeping it um, PG for the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> you did, yeah. You didn't end up in Bangkok then. Yeah, twice. Bangkok was loose. Got pickpocketed. Ended up in a ping pong show where women were like pulling ping pong balls and ribbons and razors out of their lady parts one night that was the least night there's like oh it's bangkok's an absolute jungle got my ear pierced yeah I'll, bangkok's loose it's just full of like yeah feral people gangs yeah. stuff like that there's a lot of robberies kids in like lads in our hostel got like held at knife point at cash points and the wallet stuff like that it's feral actually like one night in bangkok we were out i was out with these these kiwis uh, from the hostel and we were like going home at the end of the night and there was this guy and he was definitely British because he had like a he had like an 11 degrees t-shirt on only British people wear them <laughs> uh, short back and sides and he was absolutely steaming like he could barely stand up and this lady boy was like propping him up walking him home I was like that boy is going to wake up in the morning a different person <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I've been to Bangkok now. I'm keen for us to go out and just get mugged, yeah. Mate, just get yourself to hey, Bangkok. Mate, already got the 11 degrees t-shirt ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's sick. It's sick. After we went to Bangkok, we flew south. Went on a few boats around a few islands and stuff and then ended up in Koh Phangan, 
went to the full moon party. It was a bit of an anticlimax, to be honest. I wouldn't rate, I wouldn't bother going. It was just full of pickpockets on this huge beach and overpriced drinks. Yeah, the, the jungle rave the night before was way better we had, but that's a different story. Anyway, so we went, we had to get from there to the very north of Thailand. It was like 1,100 kilometres, and we found a train for six quid that would take us there. <laughs> right, so it's like it's like the length of the UK is six quid. So we were like, fuck it, let's do it. So it was a 23-hour train journey. It was the worst 23 hours of my life, it turned out. There was no windows on this train. There was no doors and no toilet. It was just a hole in the floor in a corner. There was people getting on and off every stop, trying to fucking, like, looking at you, look to see if they can nick anything off you. There was stuff, like, people trying to sell you fruit and veg all night. They never turned the lights off. Needham, it's quite a big lad, he broke the seat about a half an hour in. So we were, like, sat on an angle all the way. But, yeah, by the time you get there, you have a shower, you're just like, fuck me, what an ordeal. It, it definitely ages you, but... Yeah, yeah, well, I remember, I remember a mate of mine saying that he sent a Snapchat from Cambodia. He was in like this beautiful hotel and he, he went, walked around like this beautiful bed and he went out into the balcony with this incredible view and the caption was just three pound a night. Oh, yeah, like obviously like extremely poor country stuff is dirt cheap. Seamere is like one of the main cities and that has a big boozy scene and there's a big street called Pub Street and you can buy a pint for 25 US cents. I ended up in a right mess, I ended up one night there. Yeah, like, so they're that poor, they use a dollar as a currency and they use their own currency as a change. And there's 4,000 of their own currency to one dollar. Correct. Um, it's mad, but, like, the countries, Cambodia especially, is, like, a proper third world country. Like, yeah. Until you see it yourself, it, you can't really explain how sad it is seeing the poverty when people have absolutely nothing. They earn something like six US dollars a week. You feel kind yeah. of guilty. You've got all the money. You've got money, and they've got absolutely nothing. They'll spend yeah. all this sat in the gutter selling broken bent bananas for pennies. And there's people walking around with like missing limbs, scooting around on skateboards because the Vietnam War they got bombed by the Americans, and you're there like hungover from the night before, and you've just come off a fucking bus, and you're like, oh, where's the next piss up at? And you're like, fuck me, where the hell am I? Like, it's fucking, it fucks with your head. It's sad, but that's the world you live in. Ed Cole was trying to get me to go travelling with him. And uh, he's trying to tempt me by saying, oh, mate, honestly, you asked me to go up Kilimanjaro. And he's like, mate, when you stood on the peak of Kilimanjaro and you see the view, you will feel like you've never felt. And I was like, mate, that's not my happy place. My happy place is 10 blokes sat around a table in a pub Naked. That we all naked, yeah. <laughs> that we all I want to do is sitting around a circle and bully each other. Oh yeah, that's that's you. That to me <laughs> is just like that's as good as it gets in life. Mate, your true mates are the ones that wrench you the most. But yes. you know, if a fight was to ever happen, they'd always be there to stick up for you. Like, they I say horrible say, things to you, but they like, I always I, I always then justify it by saying, mate, if we weren't mates, I wouldn't say that to you. <laughs> yeah. So everyone you're nice to die, you secretly hate. Yeah, you're looking great today, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. That's the first nice thing you've ever said to me. But, uh, nah, just fucking do it. Do it before you get a missus or you have to borrow loads of money. I got, I got plenty of time in, Reg. <laughs> do it. It's a, mate, them hostels in here, you're an absolute poonani tsunami, I tell you. So tell me, when you were in, uh, 
in these hostels? Was it like uh, in between us two? Mate, it was a real mixed bag. We literally just looked on hostelworld.com and whichever the top rated party hostels we went to. And you ended up with some real sweet ones, some real shitholes. But the same crowd of people, they're like mainly Europeans and you can land anywhere, hire a moped for like four or five quid a day and just go as far as you wanted and turn around and come back. You know, explore loads of cool shit, waterfalls, weird religious monuments, stuff like that. It's sick, but yeah, no, the, the hostels, like the people you meet in there, the stories you hear people go up to, like some fucking crazy shit. I met this Kiwi in the capital of Cambodia. He was like the most plain looking average Joe you've ever met. I got chatting to him. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm from near Auckland. Uh, did a few years in the New Zealand Army. He had some mad stories about, like, the um, training they had to go through. Like, they were all, like, up some fucking mountain for, like, six days. And they had, all they had was, like, a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. And they were, like, hunting possums and snuggling up to each other at night to keep cold. It was horrific. He'd been a firefighter. He told me he killed two people by accident by doing CPR wrong on them. He was just fucking loose. He told me what had he done. He's like, oh, I had a sick Christmas last year. I took acid and chainsawed a tree down in my garden. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, and you look at him and he's like, you look at him and he's like, oh, I could be a fucking receptionist somewhere. He's that quiet. But yeah. you never know. Do you get chatting to people? Like, some people have fucking lived. He's in his cool. He's a lot hotter than you, real- than you reckon. People are chilled out. A lot less materialistic than British folk. They all drive clapped out cars and outside the supermarket there'll be like a line of wellies where people have like gone in shopping, left the wellies outside and they're a lot more honest than us folks and so no one will nick them. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. No, it's a cool place. People just want to finish work at five, have beers in the fridge and that's that's life. They're happy. Yeah. It's like um, Dewey Jones went over there, didn't he? And he hasn't come back because he said, I just love the way of life. He said like, you're always finished by five and you know, it's just... Yeah, he put it as you're working to live, you're not living to work. But no, that's 100% what they said to me. They said, Oh, you British farmers, you live to farm, but the Kiwi farmers farm to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've all got boats, they all go fishing, they got jet boats, and yeah, they have big holidays because they all dry the cows off for like five weeks a year. Mm-hmm. They're all like really well traveled and just a different way of looking at it, really. Yeah, well, I, I've always said I'd, be, I'd love to go open carving and uh, so I can dry everything off the week before Royal Welsh. And then yeah. just have the two months of the year, complete, like July 20th to September 20th. It's an absolute blow-up. Yeah, do it. You'll be on silage instead. And that's <laughs> yeah. Oh, two months off, we'll get our reseed in. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come home and uh, everyone's not as happy, but has more material possessions. Yeah. Girls are tarted up with makeup, so much more of it. Yeah. The boys are just as bad for it. Like, yeah, if you see a girl with like, take a picture of a fucking designer travel mug in her Audi. I mean, she's going to hurricane you. She's going to take your dog, your car, and your fucking <laughs> house. <laughs> just, yeah, it just fucks me off. Everyone seems so fake. Oh, I, know. I, I don't know. I don't know whether, yourself. because houses are so expensive, bear with me on this one, it's, it's convoluted, but because houses are so expensive these days, for a lot of people, it's unattainable. So they spend the money instead on things that make them look successful. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? People would rather be seen to be doing well yeah. than actually do well themselves. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it's the whole thing of our generation, but people kind of seem 
like they expect instant success. Like they mm. finish uni, they land the dream job straight away. They're next, you know, they're a millionaire by the thirty. Like no one wants to grind it out. Yeah, that yeah. just everyone just seems so self entitled nowadays. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You mentioned you're a sheep flock, Reg. Ever had much trouble with a sheep warrior? Yeah, for the first time of it, uh, would be two years ago. We had uh, two sheep, four lambs killed all at the same time. We never had anything like that before. We only got footpaths through two of the fields. And uh, yeah, someone had seen like a whippet and a, maybe a whippet and like a terrier. They work in <laughs> pairs, they tend to work best. Like, so yeah. dogs would naturally hunt. Yeah, pretty gutted. I don't know. I don't know. You don't really expect expect it to happen until it happens, as you always say. Jake has something pretty close to your heart, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's devastating, isn't it, Reg? Got it, you... Yeah, you're just looking at him dead on the floor, and you're just thinking, "What a freaking waste!" Yeah, Boxing Day 2019, we had a pretty big episode here, and oh, mate, it just well, you can't you can't put it into words, can you? How no, you don't just feel angry, like. Brought me to tears seeing the state. Um, we lost 40 in Lamu's. 40? In day. Yeah, in one day, um, on Boxing Day 2019. And, well, it's just, well, it's devastating. And I was I was in tears, like, as you could probably imagine, it's a uh, oh. horrific episode. And, you know, well, yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of them. If, if I saw one happening, I wouldn't even hesitate to go and get the gun. But, no. and I think, until a lot, I, I hate to say it, but until a lot of people's pet dogs are seen hanging from gates, I don't think it's going to go away. They say a picture speaks a thousand words. If there's pictures of that going across Facebook, yeah, middle-aged Sandra or whatever will make sure a cockapoo's on the lead. Otherwise, it'll end up with a hole in its side, the size of your freaking fist. Nobody has ever held accountable for it, have they? They didn't. You never found out who did it. We ne- No, we never found out who done it. Oh, yeah. It, it takes a certain sort of well, if you ask me, a certain sort of scum to catch the dog, put it back on the lead and walk out of a field when there's, like, Jake, said, like Jake said, 40 dead ooze being them. De- definitely, though, I think a lot more needs to be... It's just it's just becoming more and more, though, isn't it? Throughout the yeah, country, I don't, it's all you see. I, I don't know why. Whether more and more people who've ne- never looked after animals before getting dogs. I really yeah. don't know why. Because, like, say 10 years ago, it wasn't the thing. No. You never heard no. of it going on, and all of a sudden, overnight, people start having it down south. I mean, you see yeah. people with like that. There's that picture of like massive gang of inland sheep all smothered in the corner of a shit field. You think, freaking heck. And then when we got a phone call one Sunday afternoon, I was like, it can't be real. This and I turned up there, I was like, freaking heck, how has this happened here? Like, mm. yeah. oh, I really didn't. I, I think if, if you can't look after your one dog, me and my old man can look after. The hundreds of livestock we've got and know where they are at all times it you you need you're not fit with the dog i don't really see how the industry can stop it i don't really see how it's going to be stopped maybe every dog owner should have a bloody license you know you have to have a cph number to keep livestock should you maybe have some form of license to keep a dog because well you know it is an animal at the end of the day isn't it you know so well, it'd be it'd be interesting to know like every dog needs to be microchipped now should those microchips have GPS tracking on them, it'd be really good for people who have lost their dog. They can just go yeah. and see exactly what it is. And if it was public um, access, a farmer would be able to go and look what dog yeah. was in that field at that time. I want that dog put down. Yeah. People, are, they'll just end up fencing off footpaths completely. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been tempted at home. Just more, our worry with footpaths more is the shit, uh, dog shit in the silage, you know? That's yeah, that's a big thing around here as well. Like, you know, you've, you've got one block of land, haven't you? Either you can't, you don't keep livestock on because of that reason, isn't it? No, we, we, we've, we've got um, one patch of land. We, we, you would never keep stock on it just because you, you wouldn't sleep, you know, because um, it's away from home and you could fill it with sheep and you wouldn't know. Because it, it, it's an absolute hotspot. It's, it's right in the centre of a housing estate, you know. So it's oh yeah, it's an absolute hotspot for dog walkers. And like you know, it, it's one of those um, when you go to cut the field for silage, like the, the mower width down with the hedge. There's nothing there because it's been walked over, you know. Yeah. So like you know, we we just cut it three times a year and just leave it at that. You know, there's, there's no point even. You know. He's holding off a planning permission, and he can build a massive estate on it, and then put in five, <laughs> put in five robots, sit back and relax. <laughs> then you'd lose your virginity, die. Yeah. <laughs> in the Lely brochure. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you uh, you said the dog worrying is becoming a bigger thing. I tell you what else is becoming there. Seems to be becoming a bigger thing. But I don't know, man. It did take a big hit with COVID. Vegans, Reg. Oh, mate, it took a massive hit with COVID. Yeah, and I, it's um, the whole veganism rush, in my idea, in my opinion, it's just a massive result of people not knowing where the food comes from for generations. Um, it's, it's, it's baffling, isn't it, that people spend thousands of pounds a year on food, shove it in the mouth three times a day and not give a shit where it comes from. And then mm. you look at some uh, very well-edited scripted propaganda online at like where the food production comes from and all of a sudden people start demonizing farmers who are a very easy target and i think it's just an absolute you know product of people not knowing and not caring either where the food comes from for a long time yeah, yeah well, we, we were speaking the other day when we read and we made the point of like because of course there are there are probably I, I don't know the statistics but there are probably half the farms and half the farmers now that they were say in the 70s yeah like back 50 years ago, you were far more likely to be related to a farmer. Your grandfather was far more likely to be a farmer. So you as a member of the general public were far more likely to spend your summers on a farm. So you had yeah. the basic understanding of the cows going in the morning, get milk. That's where the milk comes from. But now it's, it's very unlikely that you're related to a farmer, let alone spend any time on the farm. So there's, yeah, this well, com- there's this complete disconnect where they don't know where it comes from. And then at the end of the day, I have no respect for how it's produced. Yeah, it's very. Uh, you could talk about it for fucking weeks, but yeah, that I yeah, as I said, it's just people not knowing where it comes from for a hell of a long time. People having food on the shelves, always been having a shop down the road with food available from all around the world. You only have to look back three generations, and we were all rationed. We got a loaf of bread, six eggs, a bag of sugar, and some flour each each week. Like the days of that have been forgotten, sadly. Mm. And we take it for granted. And uh, this is the result of it, in my opinion. So when I got talking to people, like, well, mainly the Brits about, like, what, what I did, they were always like, oh, I work in London, I do management, I do consultancy, I do, I do some job, I'm a car salesman or whatever. And then he's like, oh, what do you do? I'm, like, I'm a dairy farmer back at home. And they're like, you're a dairy farmer? As if, like, they've never met one before. They th- think you're some sort of mythical creature. They're expecting you to be wearing a straw out with a, chunk of barley going out of your mouth and they're surprised that someone wearing a tragic elephant traveler's vest on like myself <laughs> fucking yeah. sliders on they, they, <laughs> they don't expect like you to be normal like them yeah. and 
a lot of them a lot of them are really interested because they've obviously never learned anything about where the food comes from but there's still just as big a chunk which don't give a shit and they'll, they'll never be vegan because food's food you eat it and you worry more about saving up for your next holiday to i don't know cavos or whatever and getting in the pub on the friday night with the lads that's all that matters to the vast majority of the population it's yeah, um exactly it's, you can keep you keep seeing online all these people saying oh yeah we should we should teach agriculture in school oh what what a waste of time that would be i think there's two percent of the population working anything to do with agriculture i think it would be completely irrelevant and no one would take notice you have to really make it interesting to make people want to know about something and i think for the vast majority of people uh, they don't but the ones that do they're more eager than ever and i think people like Abby Reader, as we mentioned, and Tom Pemberton and people like that are really good at broadcasting what they do. And it's no filter. It's proper, honest, hard farm work and the ups and downs of farm life. I think that is the nitty gritty, what the general public loves. And I think, yeah, well, that's just, that's my two cents. We'll probably talk about it all night, but yeah. When it comes to veganism, I just think it's plain and simple as middle-class brats. Yeah, thing to be a minority <laughs> because yeah. they're not, you know, and I mean this, you know, I, I'm trying to be as PC as possible when I say this because they're not a minority. They're not from the BAME community. They're not from the LGBT community. Um, you know, they're from privileged backgrounds. Well, they just want to feel persecuted. So for them, the easiest way is to become a vegan and proclaim that they're being persecuted when they're quite clearly not. And if you actually look at Extinction extinction Rebellion rallies, you look at a lot of the vegan protesters, these, these people are pretty middle-class, white, privileged Joes, aren't they? And they're just looking for a cause, really, at the end of the day. They're probably not even that vegan when they go in the house. Imagine if they get pissed, you know, they'll probably have chicken nuggets at the end of the night, but... As long as they've got something not to work for throughout the week and they can go and protest instead. Yeah. Well, fucking great. They can be a vegan and, you know, oh, it's people. They without, just, it's, it's, a, it's a quick way to get an identity in it. I know, yeah. um, like I, I've said on this podcast before, so I won't go into it again. Be, do what you want, you know, eat what you want. I couldn't care less. But show a bit of respect to the very industry that built literally everything in this country because. People, you know, it wasn't, it's not, buildings aren't made of stone and steel. They, they were built by men with full bellies who were willing to get up and didn't have to go and find food because it was produced from. And like yeah. the team of scientists, uh, you know, researched and found this COVID vaccine. They only found it because they had full bellies and didn't have to worry about where their food was coming from. So yeah. show a bit of respect. And at the end of the day, all, these, all these vegans, Jake, like you say, are only on this planet because... A man with a belly full of meat and potatoes and a woman with a belly full of meat and potatoes put them Got in. It on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah. you meant you mentioned about COVID. To be fair to the vegans, it wouldn't happen if someone from China had to eat the back. <laughs> I've been I've been to a wet market. Oh, I've been, I've been to a wet market, right? Uh, on a motorbiking uh, trip right up to the Chinese border in Vietnam. Uh, I was travelling with uh, this couple that I've met out there. They were actually a year above me at Harper. Never met them. Never met them at uni. Bumped into them out there. I got to know them. We said, went on this five-day motorbike trip. It was sick. Anyway, 
day four or whatever, we were right in the like middle of but fuck nowhere, up by the Chinese border, like in this town, maybe same size as Newport. Uh, just exploring, just like got off the peds, uh, just walking around town, seeing what's happening. Saw this commotion downtown, walked over. There's a wet market. We were like, whoa, this is like nothing we've seen before. It is literally just live animals. You could buy them to eat them on the spot. There is everything under the sun there. Uh, there's paddling pools all down the street full of huge fish. There's uh, chickens in cages, like sheep, you name it. You want to eat it, you go there. It's fresh. It's ready to eat. Uh, there's cow. There's loads of cow's hooves, I remember, all chopped off on a table upside down. There was dogs on spits dead dogs on spits I'll, I'll never forget this uh this old vietnamese woman uh went over and there's this paddling pool with like fucking four foot massive fish in it and uh pointed at this fish she was like i want that one so basically the, the vendor the street vendor of this paddling pool full of fucking huge fish like wrestled this fish out of the paddling pool and then grabbed it by two hands by the end of its tail and then pummeled it off the curb to kill it, like pummeled it to death, like three hits, put it in a massive carrier bag and gave her it. And she was like, oh, thank you. And then walked off with this dead fish. I was like, holy fuck. I was like, oh, that is fresh. And then yeah, world, two years later, yeah. this comes out and then, oh, it came from wet markets. A lot of me can kind of understand that it came from there. Yeah. But I struggle to see how a, a pangolin and a bat, whatever they were doing with each other, resulted in all this and then everyone losing their heads, running out of loo roll and me using as the smart price loo roll and my finger going through it. <laughs> a bit of a weird chain reaction, but yeah, that's my, that's, that's, that's my uh, take. <laughs> oh, that's the 21st century view, I think. Yes, um, but, uh, markets, pretty but weird. Yeah, briefly, what are your thoughts on Brexit? Oh, big one. I don't know, i got a feeling a lot of Two, three hundred acre beef and sheep farms are going to go into dairy. I've got an inkling about that. Um, yeah. it's especially if there's quite a bit of staff at home. Uh, there's a lot, lot better cash flow with dairy, in, and there's quite optimistic future. British mm. dairy at the moment, especially extensive systems. I think there's going to be a lot of that, and I think there is going to be a massive push for environmental schemes. I think it's the tip of the iceberg. These little schemes. Um, that they're bringing in now i think they're really going to want us planting trees and having like uh, zones on the farm we don't put fertile slurry on and yeah it's a weird one really because i think there's like what is this like six seven hundred million people going to bed at night without a meal in the belly yeah and then there's there's us in the first world over here plowing trees plowing up fields and putting trees in farmland yeah. it's a bit of a conflict of interests yeah i don't know what what do you reckon Jake's fault. Brexit was yeah, my fault. But he promoted it on BBC News, and look, look what mess we're in now. <laughs> we always make we always make the joke. The BBC rang up Jake and said, "Oh, do you want to come on and talk about Brexit?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah. What do you want me to talk about? Leave or remain? Or, or, can you do leave? Yeah, do leave. Yeah, we need to leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can I wear this ridgeline jacket? Yeah, yeah, sweet." <laughs> Oh, mate, the fucking amount of Brexit shit I've had over the years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times I've been called a wanker over Brexit. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't like the idea of planting trees whatsoever. You know, first and foremost, I want to be a food producer. But if they're going to pay me X amount to plant trees and that will help the security of my business, then I will do it. 
I don't particularly want to do it, but it's a case of survival of the fittest. A lot of us are not happy with the way farming's been going for the last, well, as long as I can remember. My father's always been unhappy with agriculture and the way it's run. And, you know, a lot of the time Europe has capped the flack for that. Well, yeah. I am quite optimistic, cautiously optimistic about the future because I think if you, like us boys have already mentioned in this podcast, farming hasn't changed. Well, farming's got to change now, hasn't it? Yeah. And if you're willing to change, then you'll still be here. If you're not willing to change, then the the sad fact of the matter is you're not going to be here in X amount of years here. I think these, I think on the quiet, a lot of these big arable farms are going to have a, <clears throat> they're going to have a fit. Like, so you've got thousand acre arable farm, you're drawing like say 80, 90 quid an acre of sub. That's paying for your combine. That's paying for your that's paying to renew your combine every few years and your main cultivation tractor. I mean, if I was a if I was like a combine or like big big kit salesman, I'd be sweating now because like they're drawing it on a scale we don't we can't even understand. Don't you can boss all our businesses or they can't, can they? No. You know, like we, we can to a certain extent, especially they all keep going on about sheep. We're going to be the hardest hit sector, but we're also the easiest sector to mothball our businesses as well. Yeah, like yeah. we can go expensive with a click of our fingers. It's just a yeah. fact a lot of boys don't want to, but it's yeah. far easier for us to mothball our system than, you know, someone has grown a thousand acres of wheat. How, how do they cut their costs overnight? They don't. We can cut our costs. Intensive unit, lambing 500 ewes inside. Yeah. You know, well, that, that's just intensive. Just open the doors, chuck them outside, lamb a month later. Well, yeah. you've already halved, or you've cut an awful lot of your costs there straight away, haven't you? Yeah. yeah well, um, going back to the elms, I know there's a lot of scepticism from farmers because, you know, we should be producing food, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I agree. Like, we want to produce food, but I imagine there's an awful lot of farmers who aren't making ends meet. They're, yeah. they're not sustainable, who it is a viable option for them. And what I do like about it, is if you take two hundred acre farm who isn't sustainable uh, in say just say beef now for example, so he goes into these environmental schemes and sells all the stock. Well, that's two hundred less cows that you have to compete with in the market, you know. Mm. And the other thing, of course, is there's an awful lot of um, bad press in the agricultural sector at the moment about the climate change and the effects. You know, well, it's a great opportunity to turn around and say, but no, hang on. This is what we're doing. Look how many thousand acres of trees have been planted. Look at all these boys who are doing. So even though if you personally do not want to be involved in these elm schemes and they, you, all you wanted to do, do is produce food, I think you should consider these elms as the right for you to produce food because for every uh, bit of food you're producing, there's a farm somewhere offsetting carbon for you. Yeah. There's a lad near here who's just got a, um, a Nuffield scholarship to look at that very thing, um, carbon credits and how you can buy them. And I've seen there's a farm in Australia who's just, Microsoft have just bought like one and a half million dollars worth of carbon credits. So this farm, obviously, it's an extensive farm in Olsen where he's got, a, he's obviously sequestering lots of carbon into the, into the ground. He sold the carbon to Microsoft so they can turn around and say, look, we are, yeah. we virtually say carbon neutral just for, uh, argument's purpose we're carbon neutral now like we're doing our part like you can it, like your business you can buy carbon credits in south america and plant trees over there so you can say oh look my my turkey business i could have bought some is carbon neutral but it's gonna be a massive thing that but it's gonna be very hard to police yeah uh how the hell are they gonna know you're 
sequestering that amount of carbon. Yeah. And I think, yeah, but on yeah, on the flip side, there's probably going to be a big big amount of money if you can get in there and you can sort sort it out for people, but these big businesses and take a commission or a cut. I think there's big money to be made for people I, that way. As I, well. I know I know it's going to be hard to police, and there'll always be loopholes you can jump through. But all I want to see is a is a world in which farmers are actually getting paid to do something, as opposed to at the moment they just get a check for owning land. You know, yeah. all you do is you see you see farms that aren't being farmed and then uh, on the flip side, they're doing nothing for the environment. So yeah. let's put that pot of money, give it to farmer A because he is milking cows like anything and he's producing it to the top of his ability and then also give it to farmer B because he is, you know, keeping the butterflies happy and he's planting hedgerows and all the rest of it. You know, there's, I think there's a happy yeah. medium to be had. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that, uh, doing it on production and like say stock it, stocking levels it's a very happy medium you don't want to overdo it no. i know like when they did like uh, headage payments uh I yeah know, exactly ago, like 20 odd years ago people were just keeping sheep yeah just for, just for the headage payment's sake and Seek. it was very yeah. it was counterproductive yeah and uh, you've got to be very careful and methodical yeah. about how they do it there's so many people stuck in their ways and thinking that the headage payments were a good system of mm. course they bloody weren't because mm all right, you were getting paid to keep that stock, but then the stock was worthless because every Tom, Dick and Harry had a thousand sheep. Yeah. Yeah. But, there you go. But I yeah. don't know. It's crazy. There's, there's farmers around here actually just started last year, like landowners that were getting very healthy, very good uh, rent for maize ground. Um, these turned around and said, oh, you're not going to rent my ground anymore. I'm getting paid 625 quid a hectare to put it down to wild, uh, wild bird seed mix. So, that's like another whatever fifty acres nearby that's gone. Think of the, the food that could have been produced there, and yeah. I don't, I don't know. I maybe, of course, I'm biased, but I mean, like, think of the food that that land was going to produce, and there's already people starving to death. We got there's people in this country that I'm eating at night, and yeah. the government are handing out free food, which they're never happy with, and we're trying to cut down the amount of food we produce. It's, yeah. it's a bit. I don't know. It doesn't sit Just, right with me, but I don't know. What What do you boys think? Would you rather see, you know, that land used for food, either food going directly into, say, like an AD plant, or would you rather see a set aside for, um, you know, carbon benefits? Well, I, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about it when that argument was used on me before when I said I want to see land, you know, productive land being used purely for food benefits rather than have a field of wild, you know, wild oats or some sort of bird seed mix. And someone said to me, well, you know, a lot of the productive land in this country is now going to AD plants. Yes, yeah. but I I don't know. It's I quite like the idea of renewable energy, and I think that sort of fits in with the saving yeah. the world argument. Anyway, it's the future. Like, we can't plan. fight it. Everything's, no, so uh, everything's going renewable. Yeah. yeah. So would we be better off having all this productive land to benefit renewable to, rather than setting aside for bird seeds? I, I don't know what Eventually, there will be a day in the future where we turn around and say. We need to grow, use this land for food. We're going to have to re- get our energy from the sea, like tidal barrages. Yeah. Uh, solar is not all it's crap. Well, especially around us, it's fucking cloudy most days. You're never going to make much electric that way. Solar and wind power, we're the windiest country in Europe. Yeah. That, that is, and, uh, and tidals, that, we're going to have to resort to that. And when we get hungry, we're going to have to use the land. That's just the way it's yeah. going to go. But of course, like, there's, the, there's this trio, isn't there, of agriculture environmentalism and renewable energy because um 
Jake, you might have to correct me on the facts now, but the the tidal wave in the Bristol Channel yeah. is one of the biggest in is it Europe or the world? Second largest in the world after in Canada. You know, in between Newfoundland and Maine, mainland Canada, there's uh, tidal you know, um, current there that's actually bigger than the seven estuary. The seven estuary has the second biggest gravitational pull of any tidal current in the world. Think so, of the electric, we could get out of that. Just imagine, put, <laughs> imagine putting a barrage across that, not only put a barrage across it, put a road along the top and a toll on the road so people from south Wales, we could get to Plymouth in an hour. And yeah, but it would... It would benefit those two areas, wouldn't it? Yeah. The southwest yeah. is a particularly affluent part of England. Not a lot goes on there in Devon mm. and Cornwall, other than holiday, you know, yeah. other than a bit of tourism. Same I, happens, same you know, you, you go west of Swansea and South Wales, nothing really, is it? Back, to the, back to the energy I was saying about this trio that are constantly fighting each other, that for me is a no-brainer. But of course, the, the argument is the environmental effects of the fish in the estuary then. Well, where do you draw the line, isn't it? You know, okay, you might um, ruin some habitats or some um, species might need relocating. But what's the alternative? We keep burning fuel. You know, we keep pumping oil out of the North Sea and burn that instead. We'll we'll prioritise the fish and the wild and the the wildlife and the special breed newts until we realise we need this energy more than we need them. And it'll it'll happen. It'll come. It'll be a long time off. But... Yeah, now exact things happen actually in my local town, right next to where you were living. Morecambe Bay has yeah. the fastest tide in the UK. It can engulf a galloping horse. It's where all them cockle pickers died. Yeah, back in uh, two thousand and one. It's absolutely massive, and it's like a twelve mile gap between there and Barrow, straight across the estuary. And uh, twice a day, every day, tide comes in, and uh, think of the electric would generate out of that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it would be revolutionary for West Cumbria. Because uh, you get there a lot quicker. It's cut off the Lake District, but for the time being, the newts have won the fight. And just think now, we're desperate to re-kickstart this economy. Imagine announcing that and saying every bit of concrete and every bit of steel and every bit of labour is going to be British. Oh, we're building HS2. Oh yeah, we're doing that. The project we haven't even got enough stone in the country for. We're building. <laughs> so uh, old. These fucking Londoners can get to Birmingham 20 minutes faster. Do you want to get there faster? Ah, no, I'd probably want to get away faster. That's probably what it's for, is it? So you can get out there quicker. (laughs) Yeah. So, Jake, can't talk, how's out? Send these hard-hitting questions all the way up the Lancashire, shall we? They were supposed to be quick-fire at the start. Remember, we'll... Uh... Oh, they're not. They're not. They're not quick at all, man. Question number one. What's the most used word or sentence on the farm? I've been thinking. When I usually come up with a genius idea that gets shot down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I... Oh, I go on. Sorry, I'm with you now. The the thing is, I've been thinking. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I, I thought you meant. <laughs> that is the phrase. I, I thought you meant. I thought you meant doesn't. Well, I've been thinking, and he is, he is right, though, to be fair. What? He is right. Question number two What is your all time favorite Cabland classic? Um, 
I've been thinking about this all week. <laughs> and I think the right, selections you've had so Yeah, that's not the answer. Wade. Wade. <laughs> that's not the uh, answer. Okay. It's probably going to be uh, uh, Gypsy Woman by Crystal Waters. Timeless. Oh. Timeless yes. tune. Yes, mate. The jukebox in Aussies, that was. I'm raising the standard on this, <laughs> on this podcast. There have been some shockers so far. I am raising it up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've listened to the re-edited version yet, but uh, Jake chose Lil Wayne. <laughs> oh, <mate. laughs> That's good. A bit of variety. It should be pretty straightforward. This four legs or four wheels? Definitely four legs. Who are who are? And pit or bales? Mm, <laughs> got me in the pit. I'm not. I'm not all about wrapping up bales. Yeah, I, uh... I was waiting for someone to say bale them, then put the bales in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the real progressive farmers of Lancashire do. <laughs> <laughs> um, question five: What is your favourite AGM slogan? Uh... I can't remember the exact thing, but it was basically something that said, I'm dyslexic, and they spelt dyslexic wrong. I don't know. I, uh, yeah. as, it, as in, I'm, dix, I, I'm dyslexic. I'm, I'm dyslexic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> yeah, I'm with it. And it was just that, which is, yeah. Man, as you be dyslexic, but if you're not, it's quite funny. Yeah. As, someone, as, someone <laughs> is, as someone who is genuinely dyslexic, my mind is just an overtime trying to work that one <laughs> <laughs> I never had you down as a sidlexic. Yeah, oh, I'm terrible. I take tablets twice a day for it, like. <laughs> oh, God. Just so I can text, like, I have to take a tablet for it. It's time. It's time. <laughs> you, re- you ready, Reg? Hang on. Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. Oh, oh. Do, you want to, do you want to hear something funny, right? We had a boy on the other night, and uh, he had a pint, like, as he was ready to go. And, like, I didn't know whether Jake was recording, I was timing, and he thought <laughs> I was timing. So he just went off, and we were like, oh, shit, shit, shit. So we, he finished and went, how was that? So I just went, 8.5 <laughs> oh mate that's the Boris Bell Reg and I'm uh, I'm expecting good things for you because didn't you win uh, win a competition in Torquay 2015 yeah it's about one of the few things I've won in my life I won a meltdown in competition and yeah it doesn't get any more crazy than that at the AGM and what was the prize what was yeah. the prize I think it was a condom and some Lucas Aid. <laughs> uh, Condon was probably too big for me in the Lucas age. Well, I didn't drink it because I was on the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, yeah. con- condoms and Lucas age, that's a very practical prize to win, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you want more to fight, crazy night. <laughs> right. Wait, wait, what were you drinking first, right? Corona. <laughs> right. Ready? Yeah. Three. Say, say well. Two. One. Go. Oh, stop. oh my god. Oh hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Bear with. Oh. Bear with. Bear with. Oh. Bear with. Bear Point. With. Bear with. I, I, I'm gonna oh, get hang on. Hang seconds. On. I'm just gonna leave. Oh yeah, a bit of that. Do you know I think you've beat him? Oh, What's that? Hi, this this is close. You've beat him. He's beat him. 
Oh my god! Oh my god! Reg, is it Reg? You talk. We mate. have. <laughs> we have yes, a new leader. Back of the net. <laughs> How do you like the taste we of them apples? Oh, fair play. Yes. Mate. Come on. Fair play. You became That's famous. incredible, mate. Mm. You know, you know what that means now. You have to Photoshop a crown on your head now. Yes. Fair play, Reg. I uh, well, I think I'm we could. Sat, I think we could have sat here all night and for the world strike, we, Jake. Oh, definitely. It's uh, nice, nice to have someone that's uh, on the same wavelength as us two uh, pair of fuckers, isn't it, Di? Yeah, I think uh, I think Defra Minister wouldn't be a bad show, Judge. No, yeah. thank you. It's been <laughs> a pleasure. Then Thanks again, for all, putting up with me. Then again, all the countries you've been to, maybe Foreign Secretary. Yeah, diplomat, but I'm definitely <laughs> not going back to Lithuania or Cambodia because, yeah, I'm not welcome. I doubt yeah. they'd want you back, yeah. Unnamed reasons. <laughs> <laughs> They've, uh, they don't know what they'd rather let in through their borders, COVID or you. Um, Definitely yeah. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, remember to like, subscribe and leave a review. Um, follow us on Instagram, we're at Pod, And follow Reggie, he is... Uh, Wilcock26. Follow me on Insta for all the most mediocre stories you've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, Love brilliant. That was, I really enjoyed that, Reg. Nice to, nice to have a chat, mate. Nice spot on. Thanks for having me. Stand by.